Greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Do me a favor as we get ready for the service this morning. Uh, because of the season of holidays and you don't have to work and all that kind of stuff, uh, I want you to do me a favor. Turn to the person seated beside you and say to them, God loves you and so do I. I, I, I noticed the Kumalontong family, they're like, I know you. I don't want to say it all the time. Here's the reason why I do it sometimes and not other times. Because during the holiday time, there are actually more new faces than any other time during our worship. So I want you to just be able to see somebody and be say, I don't know you, I love you, I don't like you, but I love you, welcome. Right? That's the, the vibe that we want in this place. I was told to make an announcement or at least repeat one before the majority of you arrived Next week, Jakarta Central Church will have an orphanage drive. They are going to visit an orphanage somewhere. And in case you have clothing, toys, and things for kids, you can contact Sister Selvi on the number up on the screen. All right? Uh, so that we can contribute and support uh, those less fortunate and in need, especially the little kids as well. So I'm going to give you uh, two minutes, <laughs> 20 seconds. Nope. 10 seconds to note that number down and reach out uh, to the sister, to reach out to the sister, because we're not just here to preach the gospel, we are also here to help whenever the opportunity presents itself. Uh, for those of you who are here for the first time, we welcome you. We've been going through a series this month entitled Becoming. In fact, for the next two months, this second quarter, the theme Becoming is going to be our focus. For this month, we are focused on the Passion Week and the Day of the Crucifixion. Next week, Pastor Henry is going to introduce us to the next phase of becoming. So my burden today was to conclude everything that happened before by picking a key character that fitted what the cross represents. Somebody who became something else before they were something else. Now, I was in a dilemma because I think last month or the month before, I preached about Gomer, questionable character of a woman. And when I looked at the cross, there's another questionable character of a woman there. But my dilemma was, is the congregation not tired of hearing about sermons about prostitutes? Is there nobody else you can talk about, Pastor? But here's the thing. We identify her as that, but that's not what she was. She became something else, and so we are comfortable calling her that. And so I don't want to focus on the fact that she was a prostitute, but I want to focus on her experience with Jesus throughout his ministry, the Passion Week, and the day he was crucified. I think that's enough time for you to jot down the number, so do me a favor. Let's go into the scriptures. Let's go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. As I said before, I will not be projecting verses, that often I will read them. The message today is entitled, Becoming the Last to Be the First. Becoming the Last to Be the First. As those of you who read the scriptures understand, this is borrowed from the words of Jesus himself, who said at the end of a parable, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. This woman embodies that statement and I want you to see it. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 38. So what we're going to do, I'm going to look at three different incidences that involve this woman and Jesus, and we'll see 
how we can learn lessons in becoming. Luke 7, 36 to 38, the Bible says, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. There have been scandals that have come out of the scriptures because of misunderstanding, misinterpretation, or misapplication. This woman belongs to the former. Her connection with Christ is so deep in the scriptures that the devil has done his best throughout history and the present time to distort the relationship that existed between Mary Magdalene and Jesus Christ. If you go on YouTube right now or Google and you type in Jesus Christ, Mary Magdalene, you are not going to get positive readings. What you are going to get, and it's sad to think that some Christians buy into it, is this idea that there's a relationship that existed between Mary and Jesus. For some reason, Pastor H, it is difficult for people to accept the intimate relationship that existed between them that had nothing to do with intimacy or sexuality. But this woman embodies not just the experience of a woman, but the experience of somebody that is trying their best to become something else. Her journey to the text I've just read was not easy. Mary struggled. When you read connected between the four Gospels, you get a picture of somebody who was struggling in their walk to be faithful. We have identified her through cross-referencing and connecting texts that Mary is the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Whenever Jesus would be in Bethany, he would always frequent their house. They had become friends with the Savior and his company. They opened up their home to the Savior but at the same time, as Jesus is known to do, he likes to befriend the worst of us, not the best of us. And so even though he's close to Lazarus and close to Martha, busy, busy, busy Martha, his attention was always on Mary. And the Bible tells us that this is the same woman that Jesus has exorcised a demon, not once, not twice, not five times, but seven times. It's not a case of she has an, she's an alcohol or an alcoholic or she, she, she has a weakness. She was demon-possessed seven times. But what I see about this woman was she would always come to Jesus with her possession. And all seven times Jesus helped her because the Bible says a righteous person falls seven times but gets up again. And so she came to him because she knew what she was and she also knew what she was trying to become. But here's the problem. She was a prostitute. 
She is called Mary of Magdala because of where she was going to. She's not from Magdala, but because in those days, Roman soldiers would, uh, uh, when they're off their shift and taking a break, they would go to that place, that island, and consort with the women on that island. Mary was one of them. And so she had a reputation that everybody knew about. And for some reason, this preacher from heaven decided to spend time with a prostitute. I believe Pastor Henry kind of cleared this up in the first sermon that uh, there wasn't only 12 disciples. Jesus had many people, but the 12 just happened to be the core. They were the apostles, but everybody else that moved around with him, Mary was one of them. There are seven records of this woman's encounter with Jesus, and all of them are dramatic. But today, I only want to focus on three. The Bible says in the Gospel of Luke chapter 7 that a Pharisee whose name is Simon, he holds a dinner party and invites Jesus to attend. Now in those days, their dinner parties were not like ours, where you only find out about it on TikTok and Instagram. In those days, your dinner party was, were open. Remember, people had no TVs. There was no uh, uh, entertainment like we have today. So a dinner party was a big deal. And so everybody could come. People would stand outside to see who the guest was. Again, when you cross-reference, you will discover that Simon the Pharisee had been a leper who had been healed by Jesus. And so this man has experienced the power of God. This religious leader decides, I'm going to invite this controversial preacher and let everybody know that Jesus is at my house. The Bible says that Lazarus is there because he's been resurrected. So, hey, he's an honorary guest as well. Jesus is being recognized for not only being a preacher, but a healer and a miracle performer. Martha is there, but we don't hear Mary being mentioned in the text. All we hear is a woman came uninvited. Have you ever attended a place uninvited? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know a new pastor would, would respond to that because that's what we used to do before we knew Jesus, right? It's, a, a party is not fun when you're invited. When you gate crash, it's, that thrill is amazing. When my, my, my wife and I were planning the wedding, and by my wife and I, I mean my wife was planning the wedding, our wedding planner invited us to weddings that she was doing. So we were gate crashers at these weddings. Now, for you guys, if you gate crash an Indonesian wedding, you blend in. But when I do, people are wondering, which side of the family are you on? But I'm a nice person, so they like the idea of me being there. But I was not invited. I was not welcome. I ate their food, but I was not welcome. This woman was not invited. Can you imagine the house in Bethany? Invitation comes, Lazarus, you're invited, Martha, you're invited, but there's no mention of their sister. But the Bible says she comes anyway. Everybody else came for a dinner party. She came for a worship service. Everybody came to see uh, uh, the party and see the, the pump and the, and, and, and the fancy stuff, but she came to see Jesus. She was not invited, but she wasn't there for the other people. She was there for Christ. Not only did she attend this party, but she did something that was uncultural, something that was unaccepted. She touched a man who was not her husband in public. Not only did she touch him, she touched his feet. And she took the one thing that was a prized possession to a Hebrew woman that was her hair. 
And she's weeping and wiping his feet. The Bible says that she was, she continued to wipe his feet. She didn't do it once and disappear. She kept doing it and doing it. Even while Jesus is talking to the people, she's just doing it anyway. You see, in those days, they didn't sit on fancy furniture. They sat in like those Japanese, what do you call those Japanese sofas that you, you recline uh, uh, down? So Jesus is chilling like a boss like this, and this woman is wiping his feet with her hair. She takes her money, we all know where that money came from, a year's worth of prostitution money, buys an expensive perfume, she breaks it, and the room is filled with the aroma of this perfume because she's there to worship Jesus. I don't know why she couldn't wait, but something overwhelmed her. You've, you've accepted me when everybody else didn't. You, you spend time with me. You, you, you are not ashamed of me. And so she's trying to show him, I'm not ashamed of you either. And so she's wiping his feet. As always, the religious people have something to say. The Bible says that Simon himself, the host, has a thought in his head. He didn't say it out loud, but anything you think... God can hear. Simon in his mind says, Oh Lord, if only Jesus knew who this woman was, he would not let her touch him. I want to, I want to use through three phrases to describe this woman's becoming journey. And I want to ask you if you can see yourself in it. I want to let you know, in case you're struggling to figure out, how do I become? How do I look at the Jesus who was on the cross? The Jesus who died, who was buried, who was resurrected, and lives forevermore. How do I become? I want to give you a simple formula that you can take home. Number one, this woman exhibited, exhibited the spirit of gratitude. Say it with me, the spirit of gratitude. She was so overwhelmed by what Jesus had done for her that she could not appreciate him in private. If you find it difficult to talk about God in public, I'm not talking about stand by the street corner and preach, repent for the Lord is coming. I'm talking about generally just showing people what you are. You lack the genuine spirit of gratitude because of what Jesus has done for you. But here's the good news. There's still time. There's still time to come before the Lord and say, thank you, Jesus. I once was lost, but now I am found. Thank you, Jesus. My family was messed up, but you have healed us. Thank you, Jesus. Our life was upside down and you turned it right side up. That is the spirit of gratitude. And so this woman comes into that room driven and filled with the spirit of God and filled with the spirit of gratitude. Why? Because gratitude is more than celebration. It's elevation. Gratitude is more than celebration. See, a lot of people like to say thank you uh, on social media, through text. They say it, but what the person has done doesn't change them. Simon was honoring Jesus because of what he had done, but Simon wasn't planning to become somebody else. Only this woman was able to say, my gratitude is not only going to lead to celebration, it's going to lead to elevation. In other words, I want to become something else because of what you've done for me. A lot of people stop with gratitude, but never become something else. Every Saturday, we are saying thank you to God. Every time we eat a meal, thank you, Lord, for the food. I'm going to put some, some of my family business on the table, because why not? I do it all the time. I am a very controversial person when it comes to prayer. I do not pray for my food three times a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I pray in the morning, 
I trust the Lord is going to bless my trip and is going to bless my food. My wife does not like that at all. She will make us pray in the car to leave. Riley will pray. We'll pray for food if we're outside in the afternoon. We'll pray again in the evening. I'm like, didn't we trust God when we left this morning? Is the prayer for us? Or is it, I know you guys are like, really, Pastor? You don't pray for the food? I do. In the morning, thank you, Jesus, for every meal. Thank you for every tra uh, traffic light. Thank you for every Gojek person that passes in front of me to test my character. Thank you, Jesus. But because we want to teach our son to pray, I will pray. But I'm protesting while I'm doing it. This woman was not just blessing the food. This woman was not just blessing Jesus for what he had done. She was blessing him because she wanted to become something else. You must understand, every single time she's with Christ, she's at his feet. At home, Jesus is teaching. Martha is busy. She's at his feet. At the cross, she was at his feet. In the tomb, she was at the place where his feet were. Every time we meet this woman, she's at Jesus' feet. Because she understood, for me to not be possessed by the devil, I need to be possessed by God. Because in this life, there's only two masters you can serve. I don't care what your background is. I don't care about your philosophy and your bent. But one thing for sure, if you are not possessed by the Spirit of God, the devil's going to make room in your heart. And so this woman understood, for me to not go back to Magdala, for me to not go back to that life, I need to stay close to Christ. And so gratitude led to elevation because she understood that this gracious act of his is something that allows me to change. If you understand, let me hear you say amen. amen. So not only did Simon open up his, his thoughts and reflect what he was thinking, somebody else did the same and his name is Judas. Judas Iscariot, the, the infamous man who uh, got the ball rolling in Jesus being arrested, the man who committed suicide, his life did not spiral that Thursday. It had already started before. The Bible says in the Gospel of John that Judas opens his mouth and says, why didn't she sell the perfume and give the money to the poor? And then John adds a caveat and says, well, Judas said that because for some reason, Jesus was okay with Judas being the treasurer. Judas was the treasurer and he was stealing money from the disciples. How do you steal money from Jesus? But he's pretending to be a good man. Here's the funny part. Does anybody know what Judas's name means? God be praised. Does anybody know what Mary's name means? Bitterness and grief. So bitterness comes to Jesus to praise him, and praise is grieved by what she does. The man who embodies praise and worship, and he's a disciple, is questioning the, the, the actions of somebody who's bitter and grieving. It is amazing to me that in the house of God, those who elevate themselves to a status of righteous are the ones who belittle the people who are coming closer to Jesus. Because the closer you get to Christ, the hypocrites get uncomfortable. And so they will look in your past and they'll be like, aren't you the prostitute that spends time with Romans? No, I am the prostitute who spends time at the feet of Jesus. So Judas says what he says and Jesus says to him and everybody else, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. Listen, listen, you, you guys shouldn't miss this. Don't, don't get distracted by anything in this moment. 
I don't know whether it was the Holy Spirit that was revealing it to her. I don't know whether she understood. But more than once, Jesus said, I'm going to die. Nobody gave him a perfume, Pastor. None of the disciples took their pennies together and bought something for Jesus at the market. She did. And Jesus says, she's preparing for my burial. What are y'all doing? You are delaying your becoming by not letting go of your brokenness or because you are consumed by someone else's. See, she had the sin of pleasure. This man had the sin of pride. His sin was internal. Nobody could see it but God. Her sin, everybody knew it. So it's very comfortable for us to call somebody out because everybody knows what they've done, but nobody knows what you've done. So it's easy to talk about them. It's easy to get involved in other people's business, but you don't know where they are with Jesus. In my world, when somebody shows up to church, I don't care what's going on. They are there for the word of God. They are there because they're looking for change. Now you can look around and gossip. You are missing an opportunity to be grateful. Amen, somebody. You are delaying your own healing because you are delaying somebody else's. Huh? One more statement. Greed and gratitude have something in common. Mary was grateful. Judas was greedy. Judas wanted more. Mary was grateful that she had received more. Mary was there to pour out what she had. Judas was there to take some more. My question is, why are you here today? Are you here to give? Are you here to take? Are you here to leave a, an offering of praise only to take something else? Are you here because you want something from God or are you here because you're grateful for what he's already given? Right. Whatever the case is, I pray it is inspired by the spirit of gratitude. Gratitude and greed have one thing in common. They are willing to go the extra mile. You can look in history. People who are driven by the spirit of gratitude will take a bullet for somebody. They will give their kidney for their parent. They will give everything they've got because they're grateful for the life they have. Greedy people do the same thing. They will cheat, steal, kill, lie, and do anything they can to get more. So gratitude and greed are the same thing. Which one do you have? Let's go to the second story. Let's, let's, let's take this woman away from Jesus' feet. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. The Gospel of John. Nope. The Gospel of Luke. Chapter 23. And then we will move to the Gospel of John. I want to read two passages for this second incident. Right now, the Bible tells us there are four women at the foot of the cross. Not disciples, women. Not priests, not Pharisees, women. There are four women at the cross. Three of them are called Mary. There's Mary, the mother of Jesus, there's Mary, the, the wife of Cleopas. Cleopas is mentioned in the Gospel of Luke as one of the men that's walking from Jerusalem. And then there's Mary Magdalene and Salome, the mother of Jesus' cousins, James and John. You want to talk about nepotism? Jesus had family among the disciples in case you didn't know. The Bible says in the Gospel of Luke chapter 23 and verses 48 to 49, And when all the crowd had came that came to see the crucifixion, saw what had happened, the Bible says they went home in deep sorrow. 
So not only do we have these four women at the cross, including John, the disciple of Jesus, we have other people who are sympathizers. They came out of a grief-stricken sympathy, and when, they, when everything was done, the Bible says they left. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. They stood at a distance watching. Luke says they stood far, but listen to what John says. John chapter 19 and verse 25. John chapter 19 and verse 25. Standing near the cross. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. It is no coincidence that a bunch of Marys are standing at the cross because their name means grief, bitterness, and sorrow. It makes sense that those who are grief-stricken by sin and this crazy world would be the ones at the cross representing humanity. Mary, 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 the trio, is standing at the foot of the cross and they're weeping for Jesus, but I believe the closest one was Mary Magdalene. She was right there. Listen to me. Apart from the spirit of gratitude, in order to get closer to the Lord, the one thing you must do as often as you can, you must experience the scene of grace. What does that mean? It means don't wait for Easter to think and talk about and worship around the cross. Don't wait for Easter to focus on Jesus dying on the cross. It must be a daily thing. People say, Pastor, I don't know what to read in order to grow spiritually. Really? If you don't want to spend time in Leviticus and Chronicles with all the, the, the genealogies, go to the Gospels. Read around the cross. Put yourself in there and see yourself watching Jesus go through what he went through. Maybe you don't understand. Let, let me help you. It's not enough to just show up. You need to be close and you need to stay. It's not enough to come to the worship service. It's not enough just to be here. You need to be close. No, no, not close to me. Don't, don't be close here. I'm going to swear on you. But what I'm saying is you need to get close to God. You don't get close to God through the sermon. You get close to God through Jesus. You need to get close to the cross. Behold him. Listen to what he's saying. What did he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What did he say? It is finished. Not I'm finished. It is finished. I've done my part. Now you do yours. What do smartphones and weddings have in common? Anybody guess this right? I will give you my Andrew study Bible that I've had for 10 years. I promise you. Anybody tell me. What do weddings and cell phones have in common? I'll give you one second. Five seconds. What? Yes, but no. By the way, my brother, it, it is good to see you, man. It's been a long time. Awesome. No, not the price. I'm happy to see you, but that's the wrong answer. Anybody else? Yes, the price. You're right. But there's, there's something they have in common. It's going to make you uncomfortable. I promise. Okay, ten, 10 seconds is up. Let me tell you what they have in common. In cell phones... Cobalt is used to make the batteries and different components. 70% of the cobalt used in smartphones, in electronic devices, comes from the Congo. 
And that cobalt is taken out of the ground by children and people who live on less than 10 cents a day. So every time you talk on your phone, don't just think about the price you paid for it. Think about the price it took to make it. What about weddings, Pastor? 15% of diamonds are blood diamonds that come from Africa, mined by children. So the next time you're standing at the altar and you're slipping that ring on that woman's finger, don't think about the blood and sweat you're going to have because of marriage. Think about the blood and sweat that happened for that diamond ring to take place. Are you uncomfortable? Good. Now let me make you comfortable. There are two sides to grace. The price and the prize. Grace costs something. You receive it as a gift, but understand it costs something. I hear people all the time talking about grace and just abusing it, but you must understand it costs God everything. Everything? Everything to make grace available. So the next time you are singing grace, grace, God's grace, please remember that Jesus bled and died to make it possible. This woman understood way before the cross. That's why she was wiping his feet. While she's wiping her, his feet, the disciples, Jesus' own cousins, are fighting to be on the left and the right side of him in the kingdom. They wanted a seat. She was okay at his feet. Don't ever forget. This is not to make you feel guilty. This is to make you feel gratitude. That it cost something for Jesus to do what he did. And brothers, when you propose, please buy a diamond ring. Don't, don't, don't make us look bad. John chapter 20. Let's go to the next one. Let's go to the, the next one. We're, we're almost done. This is a long one, so please uh, open your Bibles and, and join me because this is the third encounter that I want you to focus on. Let me see if I can see this better. John chapter 20. Jesus, uh, uh, Mary is no longer in Simon's house. Mary is not standing at the cross. In fact, the Bible says that she followed Joseph of Arimathea all the way to the tomb. She was there. Mary was the last to leave the cross. She was first at the tomb. John chapter 20, verses 1 to 2, 11 to 18. It's long, but necessary. Listen to this. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that rode away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Verse number 11, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked inside. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other one at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied. And the angel asked her, I'm sorry, and she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you have put him, 
and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said, she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. And then verse 18, the Bible says, Mary found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave him his message. Third, Spirit of Grace makes you express gratitude for what God has done. The scene of grace reminds you of what it cost. But finally, the sight of glory is what keeps you going. Mary is at the cross. Like everybody else, she's watching Jesus go through all of this. She's not standing there praising and worshiping and singing, Almighty God is our Savior. No, she's weeping. All throughout that weekend, she was weeping. We call it Good Friday. It was Bad Friday for her. It wasn't a great Sabbath because they were used to Jesus preaching the sermon, but that day he was dead. On Sunday morning, the women go because they want to prepare his body to be buried. And when they get to the tomb, she gets there first. The tomb is empty. I want to share with you, brothers and sisters, what grief does. When you embrace grief more than faith, when you allow the spirit of disappointment to take over the spirit of God, you will look at a blessing and think it is a curse. For her, an empty tomb was a bad thing. We know it's good. For her, it was bad because in her mind, she thought somebody had taken Jesus' body. It is hard to think that God is working when things don't seem to go the way we want them to. She came to bury Jesus, but Jesus is gone. She looks inside. There's two angels. The angels ask her a stupid question. Why are you crying? Really? I'm, I'm, I'm at a grave site. Why else would I cry? Somebody's taken my Lord. And Jesus comes and asks the same question, and she can't recognize him. My brothers and sisters, it is difficult to recognize God when you have tears in your eyes. It is difficult to recognize God when you are going through the worst experience of your life. People ask all the time, does God hate me? Does God not love me? Does God not want the best for me? Is God against me? She sees God, Jesus, and she thinks he's the gardener. Shemaine, not only does she think he's the gardener, she thinks he's a serial killer gardener who goes around stealing dead bodies. She looks at him and says, where have you put his body? Do you know what happens when life is bad? You start to blame people around you. You become paranoid. The Bible says that this woman could see him, but she hadn't heard him. Have you ever been in a crowd and somebody calls out your name and you can recognize their voice? You turn around to see where it's coming from and then you're like, oh, it's, it's you. What's going on? I haven't seen you in a long time. That's what happened here. Listen to me. Becoming often requires hearing before seeing, there's a passage in the Bible. Uh, Elder Ray was talking about the book of Revelation. Uh, while I was in the taxi, I heard him mention the book. And one of the most, uh, my, my favorite parts of the book is Revelation chapter 3. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. And if anybody hears my voice. Okay, maybe not that one. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, My sheep see my face. No, my sheep my sheep, hear my voice. The reason we can't see God working in our lives is because we have not heard him. 
We have not paid attention to what the scriptures say. We have not consumed the promises. We have not looked at the lives of Mary, of Joseph, of Job, and all these other people. We don't listen to him, therefore we can't see him. I see this even in marriage. You don't see each other because you don't listen to each other. You hear the kakaka coming out of the mouth, but you're not listening. Amen, somebody. I don't know where I got that sound kakaka from. I'm, I'm trying to think of where I got it from. Becoming often requires hearing before seeing. People are like, Pastor, how come when you read the text you see something? Because I'm doing my best to see as much as I can. It's an old book, but it's new every time you read it. Mary found the disciples and told them, do you realize that this is the first time, first time in all of scripture where Mary is talking to somebody else besides Jesus? All seven encounters, she's either silent, being accused of something, or she's pleading with Jesus. This is the first time she's saying something. Because now, this is no longer Mary the prostitute. This is now Mary the disciple. So she, Jesus is, is, is a controversial figure. Jesus loves to rock the boat. He doesn't appear to the disciples, Pastor H. He appears to Mary Magdalene. She, a woman who is a former prostitute, goes and tells the men he has risen. Women were never considered a viable witness in a case. They were not listened to. And so Jesus said, oh, you're going to treat the women like that? I'm going to let a woman be the first preacher of the resurrection. And so she went to them and told them, I've seen him. I've heard him. He's risen. Coming to leads to becoming. Coming to leads to becoming. When you come to Jesus, you will become something. The question is, what? I want you to understand something. This is going to be, it's going to sound like a scare tactic, but it's a fact. The more you come in contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the more you listen to the word of God being spoken, the more the arrows of conviction hit your heart, and the more you reject it, you are becoming something else. The more you reject God, the more you reject the opportunity for change, the more you keep allowing the devil to come in and come in. Because Jesus said, if one demon leaves, seven will take its place. So if you are not responding the way that God wants you to, you are becoming. The question is, what are you becoming? What spiritual monster are you becoming? But when like Mary, you open up your heart and you're like, Lord, I know what I am. I know what people are saying, but I'm here for you. It's me. It's me. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I don't care what the person seated beside me think. I only care what you think. Is there Mary in the room today? Somebody who's been consumed by bitterness and sorrow and sadness or maybe just watching the state of your family, the state of the world, and watching everything being upside down, thinking about orphans and what they've got to go through. And you're saying, I want to stand at the foot of the cross. But not only that, I want to worship a risen Savior. Because in case you don't know, Jesus is not dead. He lives forevermore. We don't serve a dead Savior. We serve a risen Savior. If your prayer is, you know what? I want to become the thing that God wants me to become. If that's you, I want you to stand from where you are. It's the end of the month. We got to end on a high note and come stand with me right here. I'm not calling you Mary because I know your sins. I'm calling you Mary because you want to be at the feet of Jesus. If that's you, come stand with me. Don't stand where you are. Come stand here. Come close to the altar. 
Give me your hand, but give your heart to Jesus. Come close to the altar. I'm not here to put you out before people. I'm, I'm here with you and I'm saying, Lord, I, I've tried seven times and I keep falling over. I don't know what to bring anymore. I don't know what I can bring that will help me. But I know if I'm at your feet, I will be the thing that I need to be. Yes, listen to me. People know things about you. You know things about you. But here's what God knows. He sees what you can become, not what you are. Pastor H, come stand with me because you're going to pray. I need this prayer like everybody else. Lord, help us to become. To everybody else who's still seated, bow your heads and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, this moment is the most important moment of the sermon because we get to respond to the Word of God. Father God, you have made it clear that Mary was not the prototype disciple. She was a prostitute. But Father God, you chiseled her and worked on her and she became the first preacher of the gospel. She understood you would die and she was ready. And there at the tomb she was crying, weeping because you were gone. But she didn't know that you were not gone. You were, you just took a little pause. And I like to pray under the sound of my voice for a brother and a sister here who feels like Mary. Who feels like their story is, cannot get better. But Father God, what we know about his story is that it's truly his story. So our history, Father, you, you are there writing and you've been there. And so I want to pray that we would come to you with everything that we have and everything that we are and laid at your feet. Father, including myself, including Pastor Simon, including every man and woman, uh, boy and girl, I pray, Lord, that you would do a work in us that you did in, in Mary. Father, help us to embrace and, and especially the, the, the point that Pastor Sam made, that we have to be at the scene of grace. Too many of us are at the scene of sin. But Father, we want to be at the scene of grace today. And I ask you that we may look at Jesus, not our infractions, not our sins, not where we have failed, but Lord, through faith, look at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Thank you, Lord, that today... We are free. Thank you, Lord, that today uh, our story can begin again. And thank you, Lord, that you're coming back soon. And thank you that you're going to make us ready for your soon return. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you, brothers and sisters.